0: Welcome to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura Rotford, a physiotherapist, Pilates instructor, and fellow hippie. We're here to talk all things hip dysplasia, to build a community, to support and guide each other through the ups and the downs. If you like the podcast, please share it and rate it. It does help others to find it too. And if you have any feedback or questions, they're always welcome. Email me at laura at That's it for now. Let's get started with the show. everybody and welcome back to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. We have with us today Andy Reid. We are very, very happy to have him with us. Hi Andy. Hey, how are you? <laughs> really good, thank you. I mean sitting there vigorously waving at the screen. Um, so we are really chuffed to have Andy with us today to talk about your story um, and from diagnosis up to where you are now. We've briefly had a bit of a chat beforehand and realised there's some really really interesting stuff to talk about some real highs and some real lows. And so really looking forward to getting into the nitty gritty of that one. But if we can just start by just at the start of your journey, when did you even realize that hip dysplasia was a thing?
1: Realistically, uh, I was first told about it 27, 28. Mm -hmm. Um, I was born 1976. They didn't check hip dysplasia at birth then. They do now as my friend's kid has got it and he was checked. Um, but I had problems going through adolescence, puberty, legs wrong, left. No one diagnosed I had hip problems, and then I saw a doctor who said, "Oh, we've got another Roy King here." I sort of looked at her and went, "What the footballer?" Yeah, he went, "Yeah, your hips wrong." And then I went to a surgeon at twenty-seven, twenty-six, twenty-seven.
0: So Roy, so Roy King the footballer had hip dysplasia.
1: Yeah, he's got. He he he's had his he's had his hips. Um, uh, coated and I think he said he uh, broken, shaved and then coated around the outside and that did speed up his, his end to his professional footballing career but I was surprised the doctor looked at me and went yeah your hips alignment is just way off and then she sent me to a specialist and within six weeks the specialist would look at me and going there goes your football career, there goes your running career, there goes everything so yeah, it was so a bit of a shock. What,
0: yeah, I'm not surprised. What was the lead up to that then? So, like you said, you didn't get diagnosed um, at birth; that was missed. Mm-hmm. Um, but when did, were you in pain as a child, or how did? Oh, I got. You yeah, uh,
1: going up to, I was on I was on tour with Portsmouth Football Club, uh, thirteen, trying to get a pro a pro contract, and I had a um it was a groin strain, and I was told to rest for two or three weeks, mm-hmm. and that was the diagnosis. But at that point, I played on it stupid boy as you do, um, but at that point it was a wrong time to plan it because at that point in the puberty, the hips, it was like that, my hip started to just to grow out, so my left leg, the kneecap pointed at 45 degrees, uh, that caused me huge amounts of groin strain, back problems, hamstrings, hip flexor problems, potential DVTs, and a, and no, but nobody picked up the fact that it's the hip joint here that's causing the problem, they just thought, oh, I've got something wrong there. And I can continue through my teenage years trying to play football, going to school with big thick wetsuit material, um, cycling shorts underneath to try and keep my, my pelvis into line as best I could. And I was at Portsmouth and no one picked up the fact that I had hip problems. It was just, <laughs> get on that with it. That seems crazy
0: now, doesn't it? To think that that was, that that mm-hmm. was missed for, for such a long time. So can I just clarify that then? So because, the, because of the position of the socket, the, your femur couldn't hmm. go straight down, it was kicked out to the side.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so yeah, so literally, as I said, from you know, I think you know, guys on the podcast, but yeah, from the ball and socket, like it's just like a dog, it was just out. Mm-hmm. And I look at the x rays now thinking, wow, how did I even run because it was so far out? And because I was doing intensive exercise through puberty and through my teenage years, it just grew. It was a wrong time to have that because it just grew in totally the wrong position.
0: So, by the time oh, yeah, you... I
1: got to seventeen eighteen my kneecap and I couldn't bend my leg back straight because all the muscles were in the wrong position they grew in the wrong position for too long, so I was literally forty five degrees straight out it was just it was just life that's what that's what I thought it was going to be
0: so that was obviously causing you a significant amount of mm. of pain then to walk on at that time and run and train and
1: yeah and, and and I look back at it you know did do I say something to my parents do i you know but as a as a child trying to get a professional football contract, it's a growing new problem new run. <laughs> that, <laughs> you run. I think you, that you,
0: definitely says something about your personality, your mm, determination, mm. Um, to get to where you wanted to be, um, especially with that with the football career mm. for, for you to be able to run and keep going through that is uh, yeah definitely. Something I was in tears. Very... I
1: was bullied. I was I was called Andy Oof because I used to walk and run and make a noise with my breathing because of the pain. That was my nickname at <laughs> school which oh, it went through for years but i i ended up i was head boy i ended up being head of the football team i got through it and from a per, from a personality point of view but i did go through a few <laughs> a few years of mm, you know not idea. okay so
0: after after that had happened um and you were pushing through with the football career from what we've talked about previously, it's another sort of 10 years or so until mm. you officially got diagnosed. And so that's quite a long period of time. Um, what happened in that 10-year period?
1: I got released at 16, realised I wasn't going to be a footballer. You know, uh, I then played football every year, every every week. Um, I went to the gym two or three days a week, trained two or three days a week, played football, semi professional, so a reasonable standard. And I missed two or three months every season with my hip problems, hamstring, deep vein thrombrosis, potentials, hernias, back strains, uh, gluteus maximus problems, real tight hamstrings. You could play my hamstrings. And I just thought that was what it was. I saw a, uh, I had acupuncture. I saw several doctors. I saw, and they just thought, you just got problems with your muscles. And nobody thought about. And then Uh, I had so many problems, got to 26, 27, I was playing a game, turned, put my left foot down, turned, and my hip just locked, just froze on the spot. Fell on the floor in absolute scream and agony. Um, The physio came on, moved it. As you do, you got up, (laughs) carried on, and then it happened again in the second half. And I came off after the game, I got really shouted at because I I conceded a couple of goals that were my fault because they locked. I saw the doctor, and the doctor sort of looked at me and went, "Wow, how are you even doing what you're doing?" Is um, this the consultant? Yeah, the Well, the doctor said you've got another Roy Keane, and fortunately, uh, from I got private medical care through through IBM, and I said I've got private. She went, "Good, because seeing this consultant is three three and a half years because of your age," and I was like, "Really?" And yeah. So within weeks, I was seeing uh, Mr H, and he looked at me and went yeah that's there's your running career there's your impact sport gone there's your everything gone and we we will discuss whether to replace your hip or not
0: and you were 28 at
1: that
0: point Yeah. yeah, yeah. so um i think they came to the conclusion they weren't going to do the replacement at this stage right because you're
1: you were yeah the hips, hips, hips have and... moved on yeah ceramic hips are, are a lot better than they were um you know we're talking what's 16 17 years ago now whatever it is can't do the mass But at that point, he said, "I'm not replacing it because you're too active." You know, I'm also six foot three, 100 kilos. I'm quite a big, big person anyway. And he said, "Look, I don't want to put your hip because after five years, we'd have to take it out and put it in again." And you can only, he said, "I can only do two of those." So potentially, by the age of 40, I would have had two hip, two replacements in my hip. And well, I don't know where I would have been really, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and uh, we, you know, obviously things are moving on significantly mm. in terms of the te- technology now, thankfully. Um, but you ended up with a PAO, I believe.
1: I couldn't even say it for about two, three weeks. I <laughs> uh, looked <it> up <laughs> it on the a internet. bit of a tongue twister. And uh, and and when I said to people, "I'm having a PAO," very active, draws me. went, "What? What does that mean?" <laughs> you know, and and you know, I I worded it as you break the hip, you move it, you put it back together again. That's how I worded it to people. Um, that makes complete sense. Um, and I got, I think, got all the eight screws, eight screws in there, which I found eight. out, eight, which look like <laughs> I found out I've actually got, uh, I've actually got one here. I've actually got one. Oh here. my god, I'm so <laughs> jealous! I didn't get to keep mine. Um, this is the one that broke. I broke that was inside the pelvis. I don't know how I did it. Did they tell you? No, the doctor thinks I was doing too many weights and squats and I just put too much pressure through the pelvis. So that bit snapped off, and then was floating <laughs> around my leg. <laughs> so he then had to, one of my six operations was to go in and fish that out because it was getting near an artery. Um, oh, okay, and he, So he said, I've got to go in and get that. So yeah, so here's one of my <laughs> screws. So yeah, so cool. he, said, he said, do you want the, st- want the screw? I went, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it looks like I've a B&Q s- like like screw. That's what it looks yeah.
0: like. <laughs> I've seen some really cool things that people have done with their screws, like, you know, turn them into sort of art that they've put up on the wall. And, you know, yeah. there's loads of cool things that people mm. have done with them. And uh, yeah, I would have loved to have kept mine, but and I did ask at the time. Um, but that was a good 23 right. okay. years ago now. Um, and they wouldn't let me have it. Yeah. So, unfortunately. Um, but you mentioned there, so you've had six surgeries. So mm. you had the PAO to start with. Um, uh, I, well, first of, all, then,
1: yeah, first of all, I had a, an exploratory. So Mm -hmm. he went in, Mr. H went in and had a look around to see how, because he saw the x-rays, he wasn't sure where some of the ligaments and where the muscles were and the nerves. So he had a look around. I then had the PAO. Um, And then because I had hip dysplasia on the other side as well, I've had hip sculpting on the right-hand side as well. as, And then I had to have some more surgery on the left-hand side to cut the nerves because he trapped some nerves when he did the PAO. So I was getting a lot of nerve pain all the way down the left hand side of my thigh. To touch, literally touch it, agony. So I went back to him, and he and he, we went to a nerve specialist, and he said, "Yeah, they're live." He said, "You looks like I've trapped it." When he did the surgery, so we've cut quite a few in the left hand side. So I don't have any feeling on the, my left leg, mm-hmm. my left thigh, basically. Can I ask cut, you no. a
0: little bit more about that because I think that's something that's quite um, quite a common thing to happen unfortunately and a lot of people do have significant nerve pain after the mm. surgeries um, and what point during your nerve pain and where was it and how intense did it have to be before you said actually I don't think this is right and I and you went back to get it checked
1: yeah this is getting silly um yeah I, I, you know a long person to ask really because because you know I was after my PA I was running after five months I then oh, tore my I then tore my uh, hip flexor off the point of origin because <laughs> um, I was trying to get back to playing football. I just and my surgeon said to me, "Don't do it, don't do it. You're an idiot. Don't do it." So I did it, and um, <laughs> I, I I went back to him and he said, "What have you done?" I said, uh, "He said you've torn it off." He said, "You've torn it off the point." I said, "How do you do it?" I said, "I don't know. I'm running." He said, "But I also getting pain down the left hand side." He said, "What sort of pain?" So he started prodding me. He had some, uh, like a, it was like a scalpel in his, in his office. And he said, look, I'm just going to touch you with this. And he touched my leg and I he jumped out of the seat. And he says, it always been like this? And I said, yeah. I said, but I've just been on the on the path of trying to get fit again, trying to run again, trying to, and I said, I know it was going to hurt. So I've just put it off as just the way it is. And he said, no, that's not right. So then we went to, he, he signed me to a, a specialist just down, you know, just around the corner for me. He put some electrodes in, put some sensors on there, put some put some electricity through the through the leg, and the readings were very high. And I was just crawling around, this, crawling around his couch, thinking this is agony. So the results went back to Mr. H. He said, "You know what?" He said, "Is it bearable?" Or he said, "I can go in and I can cut a few things." He said, "But that will mean you can't feel down your left hand side." And I said, "Well, I mean, pain-free." And he said, "Yes." So I made the decision. It was bearable. So did I want to have Pain, but I could feel things down the left hand side of my leg, or am I quite am I okay not to feel things in the left hand side? Of so if someone stabs me, for example, or kicks me on the left hand side of the leg, I don't feel an awful lot. But everyday life, have you
0: been stabbed regularly? Have you?
1: <laughs> I live in a rough area. <laughs> no. Um, but no, he, but he but he said you know, and he said that's the price you pay. And I said fine, cut them. So he cut, cut. He went back into the the original scar, cuts. He found the nerves that were trapped. And he just cut
0: them, basically. So um, I, I think I might have had something similar happen um, in my second surgery when they went in to take the screws out. Mm. Um, because I've got a massive numb patch down my left-hand side as well, through my thigh. Um, and I don't know if I've talked about this in um, some of the other episodes already, but do you ever find that when you're really warm, you get goosebumps on the numb patch, and when you're cold, mm. it goes completely smooth?
1: Yep.
0: It's like the opposite of what you would expect the skin to do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I've, I, I came to the conclusion during my recovery that my hips, my leg are never going to be normal. They're never going to be. Mr. H has done a fantastic job with my, you know, from what you said, from an anatomic point of view. He said, I can do mm. so much, but I can't fix where the nerves react, how the ligaments, how the tendons, how the muscles. And he said the fact that you started to do this at 12, 13 was when you really pushed it you know, we're 13, 14, 15 years down the line, your muscles have grown in the wrong place at the wrong, at the wrong time. He said, I can't influence all of that side of things. I can only do the anatomical. So I just put it down to that's just life. Now that's all I can do. You know, you know, I'm lucky. And I look back now, I'm lucky that I can hammer my body every single day on a rower or exercising or I do weights because at that point, mid-twenties, when my world fell apart and he told me I couldn't do anything, I'm kind of, you know, my mum was pushing me around Tesco's um, food shopping. At that point, your world's in a bad place. <laughs> uh, mentally, you go in a dark, dark place. So I now look at things every single day. I maximise what I can and can't do, what I can do, because I feel I'm giving not quite a second chance. And it's a little, you know, you're over-egging it a little bit. But I, I the, where I come from from a mental place after the operation for me you just put up with a little bit of pain you put up with a little bit and you just get on with it because you can do that's my view on what you should and shouldn't do
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah, I mean we've we mentioned this again previously Prior to going live on the podcast, but you did say that you'd had some some really difficult times after the surgery in terms mm. of the the you know the expectation that you perhaps had might have been slightly different to the reality that you faced, or you might not have been as prepared for it, um, and what that actually meant um, prior to the surgery. So do you mind do you mind talking about that a little bit more? Just you know what your that's thought process is no, after the fine. surgery.
1: I think the first thing I'd like to say, you know, this kind of exercise this is why i reached out to you and I, and I and there's a couple of guys on the instagram that i've, I've spoken to and i've given a message to and said look was one girl who contacted me and he's just about to have the surgery and i was giving her advice on things like that so first thing i want to say is this is great because i didn't have this i didn't have a lot of the and i'm probably saying the same for yourself didn't have a lot of the internet didn't have this kind of thing to give you stupid things you can't put your socks on for about six weeks (laughs) man that a radiographer said it to me oh that's the only thing only problem you've got but if you actually think about it and break that down you can't put your own socks on you are not you're you are so sore after surgery you sit in a chair and you fill yourself with pills that messes with your head it messes with your sleep patterns you can't put your own socks on you have to have someone come around to change your dressing you you know you can't go from one room into the next because you're in a wheelchair or if you're on sticks I end up having a bag over my shoulder I used to put all my food in my bag over my shoulder and I used to get my mum to to get me pints of milk in one one can bottles so I could then transport them from one room to the other because I can't put it in a glass because I've got two hands on a stick on 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 crutches so I couldn't carry a, a pint of milk So I used to get her to get me one pound, one pint bottles that I could carry in a bag so I could have a drink in the next room. We moved the microwave into the living room so I didn't have to go into the kitchen to to try and bring hot food or food from the kitchen into the living room. So I had it two foot away from me on my armchair so I could literally put the meal in, cook it, move it to my lap or move it to the table next to me. So I didn't have to get up and do it. Those practicalities of you not being able to do that just in my head blue those that's the thing they they don't tell you they tell you you're going to be sore they tell you that you're going to be on pills for six weeks are you allergic to codeine? are you you know are you on tramadol or whatever whatever combination they put you on it messes with your sleep patterns it messes with your eating habits because you don't feel hungry because you're on certain pills and then to top it off you can't put your socks on wow that's the straw so that breaks isolated. the camel's back, isn't it? You, you feel so isolated that you've got to ask someone to put your, toe, put your socks on in the morning. Now, I lived in a ground floor flat because one of the things the surgeon will say is, do you live on your own? Yes or no? I was no. I had a couple of flatmates. But do you live upstairs? No, we've got a ground floor. Great. Because if you go upstairs, you've got extra challenges of trying to get up and downstairs. Where's the toilet? Well, actually, we had a ground floor. So we had a toilet. So I was fine. But some people who have got a two-story... You either live one story up or down because it's hard work getting up and down stairs. Those are the things that they don't tell you. And and that's where I think things like this, what we're doing now is useful because you can talk to people to say, have you tried doing it this way? Have you tried one of those litter grabbers? <laughs> one of those litter grabbers on the floor yeah, to, to go and get found that. You drop something, you can go and pick it and get it up. Those are the things that, I think are useful (laughs) useful to know
0: and we had um, another another person on the podcast that said about the backpack thing and I think that was awesome but we've not had anyone say about the microwave and bringing it into another room yet and I think that's such (laughs) such a good idea because otherwise it just takes away so much of your independence Mm. doesn't it when you Mm. require so much help from from other people. And I do think that that's something that should be really heavily considered when you're about to go through surgery. Do you have support around you? Do you have friends or family? Mm. Um, And I think that's another reason that in this particular situation in lockdown at the moment that we've got going on, why it's perhaps been a good thing that the surgeries have been postponed. I know there's a lot of people Mm. out there that are struggling with with their pain because their surgeries have been delayed. But also the consideration of not potentially having that support from your friends and family and loved ones around you is a massive implication that, you know, perhaps hasn't necessarily been considered. So really, really important to to bring up. So thank you so much for those tips. I'm sure people will find those really, really helpful. i was going to when, take us to the to the next stage um so after you'd had your pao and you'd started getting back on your feet again mm. um you said that you'd obviously had a few more surgeries so what came next
1: had the surgery told not to run so i ran in 5 months <laughs> pulled pulled the hip flexor off uh, i didn't need i didn't need surgery it, it it apparently it wasn't far enough but i then tried to play football that was 28 29 i was still trying to play football i was still running I was in agony because the hip was aching and I got playing again, but I, I'd lost a bit of flexibility in the hip flexor because all the muscles had moved and the outside of the leg, my, my butt cheek to the, to the left and my outside of my leg, the muscles because they'd been moved with the surgery with the hip. I then had lots of cramps down the left-hand side of my leg and the hamstrings and the quads because they're just basically not used to being in that position. Um, I had what three surgeries, four surgeries within – three or four years, um, so I just did, I just sat on the sofa, ate and drank, basically, um, feeling rather depressed with myself, um, finally, the fifth surgery was the hip sculpting in my, my other leg, um, at that point, he said to me, I can't do much more, this is, this is the way it is, you've got to make the best of what you've got now, so I, I was, what was I, 34 I then started doing, as you do, British military military fitness. I was doing that. (laughs) Hang on, hang on, hang
0: on. How do do we go from from
1: zero to, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) I understand that one. Um, But I found that I wasn't strong enough in that leg, genuinely. I couldn't twist. And, you know, from a daily functional point of view, I could go run 10 yards in a straight line, perfectly fine. Didn't have any pain. You asked me then to twist and jar a little bit. I then used to get a little bit of pain through the hip. Some of it was the muscles, again, because they're not in the right position. So I think I was never recommended, you know, pilates, yoga, all those kind of things. I'm a Neanderthal. Neanderthal. (laughs) I don't do those things. Looking back, if I was given that advice, I would do them because that flexibility, because the surgeon can only fix anatomically your, your skeletal. He can't fix, or she can't fix, so he can't fix your muscles your nerves, your tendons, they can't do that. They can only fix. And if you go to a surgeon and say, can I do this now? They will say, well, if it hurts, don't do it. If it <laughs> but I wasn't given the advice on pilates and, and yoga just to, to do the stretching. So there's a tip, do that. Absolutely, <laughs> Do that. And um,
0: so you've mentioned that you haven't done any Pilates yoga. You wish somebody would have told you about that at the time um and i suppose that is something that people can be thankful about now is that you know it is a little bit more mainstream people are more aware of it Absolutely, um and because the technology is out there for people to have more discussions people have that insight to to have access to that i suppose a little bit sooner
1: yeah and you know and some of it is is the time i to be blunt i'm an old-fashioned i just work through things i you know those finesses things i just was flog the body every day that's what I do I don't look at how to preserve yourself I just push myself those kind of things I think from a sporting point of view I wasn't brought up with them didn't do them at school didn't do them you know at my football club they used to give you a plate of chips afterwards and a pint now nutrition was
0: out the window as yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: the the world has changed shall we say and it's improved so I think that's a good I would strongly recommend even pre-surgery get your muscles get them stretched get your hips hips right you know the surgeon had problems getting through to my hip because of my I've got big legs and the muscles and stuff and he said you're quite inflexible because clearly they pull your leg around when you're in surgery I said yeah I know I said he said well you know we had problems so looking back if I was more flexible and you know joints it would have been easier for the surgeon as well
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, it makes the rehab afterwards so much, so much quicker because you've got that muscle memory then to to mm, get it exactly. back quicker because yeah, you have that memory from before. So, um, very wise words and <laughs> <laughs> um, very common uh, recommendations now. Um, again, wish that they would have been a little bit more available to you beforehand, but, mm. um, good to know that we're spreading that message now. Um, now you did mention that you like to just vlog yourself and just work mm. as hard as you can, um, day to day. And uh, you're doing that by rowing now, I believe.
1: I, from the age of 34, 35, when I actually eventually listened to the surgeon and he said, you're running and your impact sports have gone, listen to me, your body won't take it. I eventually listened to him about seven, eight, nine years after that message was actually given <laughs> to me. Um, so I was looking for, and I hate a swim pool now because the amount of hydrotherapy, I was just, you got to walk across a swimming pool. What else can I do? No, you just got to walk across the swimming pool. Is that it? Yeah. So now, well, I hate swimming. <laughs> I kind of go. So I was looking for something to do. I'm sporting. I've got a. I still have got a fire in my belly to, to stay active and to. Um, I found I was at the gym. There's a rower over there. No one's using it because apparently it's a hard machine to use. Oh well, <laughs> that'll be the that'll be the row. But yeah, it's because a row is straight lines, so you you're bending your leg in straight lines. It's no twisting, you're not putting weight through your knees, through the hips, through the ankles. So from an anatomic point of view, the stresses are less than they would have been. So now I row every day. Um, I do half marathons for fun, and marathons for fun. And um, since we started the COVID, but you know, I, I don't know whether the British indoors are gonna happen this year, uh, the British indoor rowing. I'm trying to get there um, to do well in the 40 to 49 category. Um, I am you know, reasonably good at the subject because I'm quite. I'm six you know, hundred kilos, so I've got long limbs and long, long legs.
0: Yeah, that's an um, advantage for rowing.
1: So I, yeah, every day I fall off the machine in an absolute mess.
0: You actually, you actually fall off the machine?
1: No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I untrack <laughs> my feet, and a lot of the time I am sucking air. And like you know, my, <laughs> my kids come into the kitchen and go, "Daddy, you all right?" I mean, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, it's quite a up.
0: euphoric feeling though when you push absolutely. yourself to that level?
1: I, but, but, but because I felt w- with this surgery, something was taken away from me, and that's you do feel that. And now I look at it and go, "Well, I've it's not quite. I'm overegging it, but a second chance." And I don't, I see it as he's given me a chance. Mr. H, Mr. Hustle, is one fantastic surgeon. Really, is an unbelievable surgeon. And I found out he's one of the best in Europe at doing this, doing the PAO. And you know, he the advice that he gave me was: if you can do it and it's pain-free, do it. If you can do it and it and it causes you pain through the hip, then you need to have a think about longer term. You need from arthritis point of view. He said, but everyone's individual, so you've got to work out what your boundaries are. So, you know, yourself, Laura, or me, we've got our own different different levels. We've got our own different tolerances. Our bodies are different. So. You know, I had a few challenges with the physios. You, you won't be surprised at this. The food, with, with Mr. <laughs> Hustle and the physios, two or three days after surgery, I wanted them to bring in some dumbbells so I could do some weights in the bed. And they said no. And I had a row with the physios and the, and the, and the surgeon. And he said, you can't. You, you're recovering. And then we got to the point of, at that point in time, PAOs are done on 70, 60, 70 or 80-year-olds. So the physio plans that the physio had were tailored around an older person, a less active person with possibly not the same healing speeds that I had. So I like to think I'm, I, made, I made a change to the physio department because I came in at mid 20s, mid to late 20s, active, fit and healthy. And then I was told I'm stopping. But men, from mentally, I still want to be fit and active. So I know I pushed a few boundaries, I know there are a few tears from me, but there were also I think I pushed the surgeon and the and, and the physios quite a bit to say that don't judge the operation, everyone's not the same, no one's the same because I'm I'm here, I'm living proof that I'm gonna be I'm gonna be I'm gonna be seeing you again. And and when I go back for two year checkups with Mr H now, he always asks, he says, What are you doing, how are you doing it, are you looking after yourself? You know, I didn't tell him that I ran the Great South Run just for the sake (laughs) of it. Um, But I did it. I did it for Alzheimer and dementia. And it's something that my friends now run half marathons and marathons. And I was the active one at school. They weren't. And then they're doing it now and I'm not. And that played with my head. So you know what? I'm going to do this. I genuinely ain't going to do it. And for the few days afterwards, I was sore, proper sore. But I did it. Because it's just one of those mental things. You don't let it beat you. You go through some really dark spells. You go through some proper dark spells. Not shaving for weeks. You know, You know. You sh- shouting and swearing at your mum who's giving you fish and chip lunches. And all those kind of things. Because you're annoyed. Because you're angry. Because you haven't slept properly. Because you know, the painkillers are messing with your, your sleep. All those kind of things. So I, use, I just use that mentally. That's tucked away whether I consciously or subconsciously use it every day, I see it as an opportunity now. You need to go and, attack. probably an aggressive word these days, but I'm, I'm active because I can be. Whereas I see a lot of people who are not as fortunate as I, who if I'd have been waiting three, three and a half years for an NHS operation, um, I wouldn't have had, you know, I'd have been on a different path by now, I would have thought. So that's the way I look at it. So, so from a rowing point of view, I do weights as well. Rowing, uh, three, four mile dog walk every morning. Um, I've got two kids. I coach football. I'm an FA qualified football coach. Um, I do all those kind of things because you know what? I've got a chance to do and I can do. So, whereas you know, for six months after the operation, being pushed around in a wheelchair, you do you do evaluate your life. You do evaluate wow this is hard so hey that's just the way i look at it and hopefully people will look at it in a positive way in that you're getting fixed you're giving yourself a chance the surgeon is giving you a chance fixing that pain fixing that mobility so recover correctly don't do what i do and try and run after five months because you'll because you'll pull off your hip flexor and then you and the <laughs> surgeon will come in and just laugh at you what are you doing back here yeah, yeah all right <laughs> you know why i'm back here <laughs> um but yeah you've got to see the bigger picture you've got to see the bigger picture because you won't do for, for several months as you probably know Laura you don't see the bigger picture for a while after your surgery
0: i think i think people aren't necessarily advised or told to grieve for mm. the activity that they once had or the passions or the you know the loves that they once had of the things that they could do um and i think that people should be given that advice, you know, it's okay to really be not okay with it. And, Mm. you know, if, you know, with you for your, with your football, for example, you know, that was something you were so passionate about and you were told that you couldn't do it again. That's, that's going to be a grieving process. You know, you're going to go through all those steps of that grieving. You're going to be angry. You're going to be sad. You're going to be emotional. There's so many different phases to that. And, and people need to just, Give themselves a little bit more time than they expect, mm. I think, um, to go through that process. Um, but what I really admire about your story is that you've explored lots of different avenues to find a way that you can keep yourself active, keep challenging yourself in a way that you obviously need um, to keep yourself, you know, happy and mentally and physically well being, you know, your well-being. Um, and you found that in rowing. And it is going to be different for every single person. You know, I'm not very good at rowing personally. My hip, um, the way that mine works, I can't bring my knee up to my chest in a straight line. Um, It just gets stuck. So rowing's not very good for me. (laughs) Um, So I have to take my knee right out to the side when I'm rowing. Um, But this is the beauty, right? It gives us a chance to explore lots of different options and find other things that we can love and be passionate about um, that do allow us to still feel fulfilled and whole as a person.
1: Yeah, it, it, I keep harking on about it, but yeah, you do. You have to because you, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as you're broken. There's something wrong with your body, and then you carry that. If you carry that mental attitude with you, you let everything. Do you become negative? Do you look at things in a pessimistic point of view, or do you look at it and go, you know what? Well, they found a problem. I've got a good surgeon. He's gonna he or she's gonna fix it. I'm going to find some decent physios. That's now restarted. Is you that know, you restart the computer? You got a problem. You run it. You run some. You run a, run a change to fix it. You shut it down. You restart it. You're good as gold. You, you're off. And then, if you have that mental that is it, is your glass half full or is it half empty? You look at it and go right. I've got a chance here. I've been given something I couldn't do this before. So I found. Because I'm quite a competitive sportsman, I need to find something. I need to find an outlet. Because mentally, as you say, mentally, it's, it's just, as, just as beneficial as physically. Um, you know, for your cardiovascular system, your muscle definitions, your fat percentage, you know, from a physiology point of view. But mentally, those endorphins, it's something, it has to tick your body. Uh, it has, has to make, you know, make your body tick. And so everyone's different. Um, but you've got to find it you've got to explore it because if you don't personally I think you you know there's a there's a there's a phrase in, in rowing of uh, and I said it is is, is no HDs so and no handle down so you're doing a workout I don't put the I don't put it however much in pain and the lungs are killing me I can't breathe whatever I don't stop the workout I don't put the handle down I keep going no hand no HD no handle down because even if you finish it that's a as a big mental boost because you've done it, you finished it, however difficult it was, you did it. If you quit halfway through, does that become a trend? Does that then fester in your, your your mental state for the rest of the day, the week? Does it become a habit? So I tried to look at it in the positive way. I found my outlet. Apparently I'm reasonably good at it,
0: <laughs> uh, Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but,
1: but I, but I work hard at it. I really do push myself and you might, it's all very really well having ability, some ability, but you've got to harness it. So I really I think, like
0: that quote, no handle down.
1: Oh, I, I, it was just a long story. Rowing, I went from nowhere to reasonably good in six months. Uh, as a guy called Cameron Nickel. He's a, he was an Olympic rower. He, he's now he's a doctor, and he runs a rowing website, and I signed up to the rowing website. So saw my time, see how good it was, and he did an interview with me, And he posted what I do on it from a a rowing point of view. And he said, what makes you? I said, well, no HD. He said, what do you mean? I said, no handle down. Don't quit. Because even if you finish it at a slower time, mentally, you've got a big tick. You're getting positives out of it. Even if it's slow and you don't, maybe, maybe don't hit your objectives. But I just said to him, I just don't handle down. I refuse to. Because I know if I finish it, that gives me that, And that's something that we can apply
0: that to everybody, isn't it? No handle down. That doesn't have to apply to rowing. That can apply to you getting through your physio rehab exercises. That can be just getting up in the morning and managing to get through your morning routine, have a shower and get ready for your day. No no matter what that challenge is Mm. for you in whatever stage of your rehab, prehab, whatever's going on, no handle down. I really like it. And hopefully, um, if you don't mind, I'm going to use that as a quote for when we do the podcast notes.
1: Absolutely. No, that's fine. Uh, Yeah. It, it, uh, but yeah, as you say, I think it's, it, it's, for, it's for everything in life. It's not just for Roman, but that's, that's, Absolutely. that's from a mental attitude point of view. That's the way I look at things anyway.
0: So, so as, uh, I want to be respectful of your time um, and uh, we'll start know, wrapping I can, things I can walk up. all
1: day, don't worry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. I'm sure we could do this all day. Um, but I'm just going to finish off with two last questions for you, if I may. Sure. Um, if you could change one thing about this process, or if there was one thing that you could wish to have known um, going back along your journey, what would it be?
1: Along the PAO doing... Uh, see the bigger picture. Yeah. Because, you know, I look back at it now and I've been on a journey for, let me work it out, three, 16, 17 years. I'm 43 now. Operation 26, 27, going you know, in 28. I'm a run area. You, at, that, at that age, you, you can only see six months in front of you. Whether that's a maturity point of view or an experience point of view. And I see the bigger picture. 10 years down the line, the world's different. And you've got it, but you can make that 10 years, you can make what that picture is by your attitude and the way you, you know, grieve, as you say, go through that depression point, because you will do. <laughs> be honest with you, you will do, but see the bigger picture. Know that you will get through the other side. Your world, your world might, might be a little bit different, but don't be so blinkered and worrying. You're stressing about getting up that morning or, you know, you're in a wheelchair. Uh, I'm not normally in a wheelchair therefore my independence has gone Uh, panic 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 try and take a breath get through your rehab listen to your surgeon and see the bigger picture
0: amazing thank you so much for that Um, and the last question that I've got is there um, something that you can look back and recall um, about the journey or you as a person something positive to have come from this journey
1: appreciation I think appreciation of your family your friends um, when you do go through your depressive point you need those people around you and I look back now and I look back at what my mum did for me um, Uncle Phil pushed me in a wheelchair on a cobbled street uh, it it was so it so messed me up physically but he wanted to take me out and take me to the pub but he had to push me through a cobbled street, and I look back and I would swear at him because he pushed me on a cobbled street and it was hurting. But I look back at it and go, "Well, actually, he wanted to help me. He wanted to appreciate me and get me out of the house." Um, so you do appreciate the good thing to come out of it. You know, I, I've never sworn at my mum since, <laughs> since some of the times. <laughs> <bonus. laughs> um, but no, you appreciate those, the friends and family and loved ones who look after you. And I never, I you know, never stop saying thank you for the work they did on that one
0: that's an amazing message to leave this on so thank you so so much for your time today i really appreciate you coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you no problem. Um, and it no would problem. be wonderful to stay in touch if we may um and have a catch-up perhaps for another season going forwards
1: yeah, yeah yeah the only thing i'd say is if anybody wants to contact me i'm sure you, you know my details you can find me on instagram Um, happy to have a conversation with anybody on message or similar to this if they want um
0: so where can people find you if they wanted to get in contact to ask you any more about don't your information what, it, what, I, think I'm, I
1: think i'm andy i think i'm andy dot read 48 i think it is uh,
0: um but if they come andy dot dot
1: 148 there
0: we go on instagram <laughs>
1: um yeah it's me sitting on a rowing machine um well they can come through i'm sure you'll pass all the details if, uh, if absolutely of course on to. i will um i'm always posting on the pao tag you see, all you'll see is rowing screens, or me, yep. me on the floor you know, as a mess. <laughs> That's all you'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, if anyone wants to have a con- conversation, however small or questions, then by all means.
0: Brilliant. All right, thank you so much, Andy. We'll speak to you soon.
1: No problems. Take care.
0: Cheers. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with another inspiring
1: and incredible guest. See you soon.